Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about mortgage rates heading lower and what that's doing to housing demand. First, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, it's Tracy Velt, Senior Director of Data and Content for HousingWire. Today, I'm speaking with John Gibson, Senior Vice President of TPO Lending at Flagstar. What Flagstar products are making a difference for brokers in this market? Yeah, I love this question because we've really expanded our product line over the last three or four years. As I mentioned before, kind of think of it as a one-stop shop, right? We do your traditional book of business, your agency, your government, but we've also expanded into specialty lending areas. So for example, um, we offer a construction product, which is one of a kind in the industry from a standpoint of brokers having access to that product. We offer non-QM products like bank statement loans. We offer... Uh, we were one of the first to offer standalone HELOCs to the broker community to help in a rising rate environment. They, the business partners stay in touch with their, with their borrower. And then we're going to continue to do that and pushing the envelope with things like rolling out more non-QM products. And then Tracy, last thing I would tell you is I think this goes unsaid and shame on us, but we're really good at government lending. From an FHA and VA perspective, I, I would put our underwriters and our process up against anybody's. I think we're a subject matter expert, and I think that brings a lot of stability to our business partners. Thanks, John. For more information, go to flagstar.com backslash Y. That's flagstar.com backslash W-H-Y. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah, because it's a it's a very critical day in the housing economic discussion. And as you could see with my big Chester grin, I'm I'm laughing and smiling because uh, I, I think this is a, a good spot to have a good uh, housing economic discussion on. I'm so excited. So the last time that you and I talked, we were talking about reasons to be thankful for different parts of housing. Well, today, I feel like with the economic data, we have yet another reason, and hopefully that's on rates. So let's let's dig in. What, what's been going on with the 10-year yield and rates? So let's go back a few months. And what had happened was two Fed meetings ago, the Fed, in its failed concept, went very hawkish for no apparent reason. And the bond market traders crushed them. I mean, just absolutely crushed them in the battlefield. And then the 10-year yield escalated toward 5%. Well, before that was happening, the Fed was kind of laying the groundworks for, well, you know, we're really restrictive policy now, and then we can maybe cut rates next year. They went hawkish, and it just rolled over them. So you had a lot of Fed presidents talking about, oh, wow, well, I don't know why the 10-year yield went up, or I don't know what's going on here. There, there's a point where you just become old and slow. It's just what we're saying. So in any case, the 10-year yield got to about 5%. We had 8% mortgage rates. Um, a lot of the Fed's thinking that you know their talking points was housing, was a recovery, and we're okay. That, that went away. But the history of economic cycles, outside of 1978 maybe probably, um, when the market believes the Fed is done and the Fed believes it's done, then typically bond yields rally going lower 
and mortgage rates follow with it. So from 5%, we got, this is Wednesday morning uh, that we're doing this. I think the low point was four and a quarter. Four and a quarter was kind of like my top end range for uh, um, the 10-year yield this year. And even today, policy is still really restrictive, especially if the growth rate of inflation is falling. So we've gone, in a month, we've gone from 5% down to four and a quarter. Mortgage rates, almost 75 basis points are lower, in some cases, 1%. What has that done? Four straight weeks of positive purchase application data. And what I do every single year is I, I try to teach people how to understand the purchase application data and the supply and demand equilibrium. What I've realized is that the supply and demand equilibrium is not something people track or know about. So last year at this time, remember we always talk about November 9th, right? Th- things could change right about here. There's no excuse anymore. If you're a grown adult, if you have the ability to read, or even you have the ability to visually see data, you cannot make the same mistake last year. Last year, I'm willing to forgive that because last year, existing home sales went from six and a half million to four million. That's a two and a half million spread down. When we talked about November 9th, we were just a tad under five million. So when I was talking about, boy, we're heading toward four million, this area is going to be really tough to break and uh, go lower with duration. Now, 4.55 million down to 4.79, so almost 800,000. That's a, that's a, a noticeable spread. But it's not what it was in 2022. So here we are. If, we're just assuming, if mortgage rates go lower and purchase application data gets better, let's not make the same mistake last year that a lot of people made that said, oh, well, well, prices fall, you volumes to 223 home prices have to fall because it didn't work. Forward-looking data, weekly data, rules everything. Do not get stuck with yearly forecasts. Do not get stuck with ideological takes. Do not get stuck with, well, X has to happen because this rate is here. No. We have evolved as a human species to track live data 24-7, especially weekly forward. And we do not want to wait to June and July like we did this year. We, we, we waited till June and July and talked about why our home prices crashed. We gave people what the model looked like and it was changing right in front of them and they didn't understand. Now you have to understand this if it occurs. So last year, you know, you talked about November 9th, and that's when we started to see a change in the purchase application data, the forward-looking data, and that meant that January, February, we had, you know, good sales, right? Because that's the end of that sales cycle. So do you think the same thing is going to happen in 2024? Right now, we have four weeks. We've had times where we've had two to three weeks where we've had positive application data. Last year, we went from November to the first week of February. So I kind of have a little rule of thumb. You need about 12 to 14 weeks of positive data to actually have something material. What I caution people is this is not the COVID-19 recovery model. April 7, 2020, COVID-19 was hit, we're going off. We're about to go off May 18th. Everything's about to change really quickly. This is not it. But if we get 12 to 14 weeks of positive purchase application data, that means the sale levels that we are already so low on are going to grow. And that means demand is picking up. That means home sales aren't crashing anymore because they had really stopped crashing after 2022, right? Because we're working such a high bar. And then we have to work off the supply and demand equilibrium. And this is why I say like the, the 2023 story in housing that nobody wants to talk about 
is that even as we were heading toward 8% mortgage rates in the second half of 2022, a seasonally weakness period, price cut percentages were 4% below the entire time right up. Think about this for a second, right? So um, we just follow the data weekly. If rates keep on falling and demand picks up, go with it. A lot of mistakes I see even today on Twitter when I do my purchase application data thread is that people look at the very low volume and they don't think everything of it. That means you missed everything from November to, to February and your home price crash theory went away. You, you're, it's like 12 months later and you still don't get it. Reading is a good thing. So this is why we want to teach this. So if this occurs now, then at least we can get an entire country to come along. Now, we're always going to get the crazy people who are just going to, you know, where the world's coming in. But you don't have to be a part of that group anymore, right? You don't have to be a part of the flat earth society. You don't have to be a part. You can read and do it for yourself. And then you are your own person and you're not getting swindled by a bunch of grifters out there. So do you think uh, rates are going to go below seven? Yes, Um, The only way this doesn't happen is that the economic data firms up. And uh, like we talked about uh, earlier this year, the way to get to 8% mortgage rates is the economic growth is good. And guess what? We had 5% GDP in Q3, not in anyone's bingo card, right? For 2023, jobless claims, which were rising, reversed course, right? Right? The recession didn't happen. The best counter for rates to stay above 7 is that the economic data outperforms, right? So that, and then we're just stuck to the marketplace we have right here. But going from 8% to about seven and a quarter, that's noticeable enough to give us growth, very shallow bar, low bar, so low we could all trip over it, but it's still growth. And then we just work off the supply and demand equilibrium. So right now, everything you've seen in the past is already outdated because the market had a material change. If you have a material change up 1%, it changes everything. Now we have to go with it. And if it keeps on continuing, that means the weekly tracker gets to be a little bit more uh, more important on the turns. And we tried our best last year. And I know it was difficult to kind of convince people that you know the forward-looking data matters. But if this happens again, this will be now the fifth time in 11 years that's the forward-looking data will get better and people will miss it for, for some reason. And we don't want that. Our job is to teach. So uh, this is just four weeks. If rates keep on going lower, remember, it took mortgage rates from 7.37 to 5.99% to give us that three-month run. We have not even broken under 7% yet. So all these people waiting to buy homes, waiting for rates to come down low enough, what I've talked about on CNBC many months ago, the COVID-19 policy by the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve doesn't want you to move. Federal Reserve says, no, having sex, having kids, buying home, no, no, no. You're making our job difficult. And the reason I say this is because Neil Kashkari came on TV in February and became a big crybaby about this. He's like, oh my God, 6% mortgage rates, people are buying homes, that makes our job difficult. No, it won't. It was a global pandemic. The inflation data looks exactly like a global pandemic. You did not even need to raise rates 1.5% the last time. So adjust and learn, land the plane. Because if you care about your credibility, landing the plane is credibility. If you don't want to, if you just want to put your head down and go, we just, we want a recession, then leave. Go do something else. Go do speeches. Go fishing. Let other people land the plane. Okay. So do you think that looking at some of the comments this week and and looking at the data, do you think the Fed is done? Do you think they'll even lower rates? Like, where are we with them? 
Well, the the big the big thing is that Waller. Remember our one of our Fed favorite Fed uh, people, Waller, kind of just said, you know, we're done, and we could possibly cut rates if you know the growth rate of inflation that, falls. That was so, this week, right? He said that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was this week. So I I think I think in general the market believes this. Now, uh, this morning, Barkin, one of the Fed presidents, came out and said, "Oh man, if inflation flares up again, we could raise rates." You know, there's always going to be good cop, bad cop, Federal Reserve. But for now, because real yields, I think the real yields discussion is for until a lot of people because you know because of social media now we get to talk about it more opening. the pol- the Fed policy was really restrictive with the ten year yield at five percent, or where the Fed funds rate is right now with the growth rate of inflation. This is what they're talking about. They're trying to lay the gl- groundworks for rate cuts next year without a job loss recession. If jobless claims start to tick up and tick up aggressively, game you know games on for the rate cuts, you know because then they have to go back to a dual mandate. We're not there yet. That's why I always say that three hundred twenty three thousand four week moving average jobless claims data. Right, you're not going to have a job loss recession where millions of people lose their jobs unless you get over that level. So they're kind of managing that as much. So you're going to get some bad talk, but there's enough Fed talk out there to say, "Let's said we're really restrictive." They they see this is the problem with going hawkish when they did, because we spent three months dealing with rates we didn't need to deal with. Right, so hopefully they could realize if they really want to keep the Fed funds rate high. Let the long end of the bond market do the work for you and don't like, you know, you don't even need to stay hawkish anymore. Just like, think about it. If we just tape their mouth, if we just, and then we, you know, the bond market says, okay, good. You know, but then, you know, they'll come out and say something. Oh, you better, you know, just land the plane, land the plane. You're not getting any bonus points for throwing the U.S. into a recession, right? Those days are over with, right? Don't be a Fed member if you want to do that. Stick to your dual mandate, go with it, right? And and again, uh, I think they've they come to the conclusion that their premise that housing was recovering, right? Even though the forward-looking data, they 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 whiffed on that. So any Fed staffers, and I know you're listening, okay? <laughs> Track the forward data. Do not make your Fed presidents say this in statements. If the forward data is going negative, you you rip that out of the speech. Right, you tell them no. Housing's not recovering. You need credit growth. Like I'm, I, I still haven't even taken the housing market out of a recession. Like credit growth has to grow, right? You need at least twelve to eighteen months of growth before you could, you know, start taking the recession talk out. And they were just like, "Oh, housing's recovering." No, no, no. So, Fred staffers, listen. You cut it out of their speeches if the forward-looking data is going negative. So you don't, they don't get caught like this anymore. And I think. Market and all of them realize that oh you know housing isn't recovering you know rates are too high so we're 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 in a much better spot right now than we were a few months ago but hopefully they learned their lesson you know land the plane just zip land the plane zip it I love it okay so you think that rates can go below seven and you think that that's likely unless something changes on the economic front what about lower than that can we be in the well here's it is I I. I've got I've got my ten year channel, and I do not believe we can get below that Gandalf line. Now, the Gandalf line, just for there's a lot of new people listening. Uh, at the start of the year, I thought we it, it'd be really difficult for the ten year yield to get below three point three seven, 
Okay, so that means we're going to get sub 6% rates if that happens. Did not think the the labor market was breaking. So every time we got there, I brought Gandalf out. You shall not pass. You sh-. Well, the thing was tested eight times. Did not expect that to happen. So here, back then, the market you know, was thinking, okay, London's going to lose their pension funds. The world's coming to an end. A banking crisis. The Fed's going to pivot. And it's like hard standing there and saying, no, the Fed's not going to pivot. The Fed's not going to pivot. No, no, no. And every single time it held, except for one day, the worst of the uh, um, uh, banking crisis. We were there for one day and then we shot up. So we went from 6% to 8%. So I believe in 10-year models. I think you are an archaic dinosaur if you're targeting one mortgage rate forecast. You have to run with 10-year channels, right? That's why I'm always proud of my work on the 10-year yield and mortgage rate forecasting just because we work off of channels. But I think targeting one single rate, wow. That's like an old, old dead scroll book, your playbook you're using. That's no, that's, that can't be. So we work off channels. And if the labor market broke, right? If the 10-year yield, uh, 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 if, if, if the jobless claims get over 323,000, then I could make a case for the Gandalf line to break. So we're going to have the same, we're going to talk about channels for 2024 and what to work off of. But again, still right now, the Fed's policy is restrictive. Now, as we're as you're hearing this podcast, the PCE personal consumption expenditures data has come out on Thursday morning, and the jobless claims. So these are these are big Fed data line points. The Fed cares more about PCE than CPI inflation. So that's a big one, jobless claims. So as always, follow labor data. Labor data is key, right? The growth rate of inflation falling, great, excellent. That's all good. Mortgage rates are still higher you know, today than uh, last year when we had the peak or in 2022, the peak growth rate of inflation. Labor data has to soften up and then you could get a real change in language. But we're not there yet. But those are the things we track daily and weekly. And we go with it on the forward looking data because this stuff doesn't hit the data lines until 30 to 90 days out. So by the time it's like here, you know, whatever, whatever, if you're even quoting the last existing home sales report, if you have three months of purchase apps, you're old and slow, right? We don't want to be old and slow. We want to think forward, both positive and negative forward. And then this way, nobody gets surprised. So how low would the 10-year yield have to go for us to see um, significantly lower rates? I know the Gandalf line is there for, you know, like you don't think we'll, we'll get too low, but like, what does that mean? If we got right to the Gandalf line, what, what would it have? You'd have to You'd have to break below 3.37. To get what? To, to, to get sub-6% rates, you need to break over 3.37. But also, we have to think about the spreads are still wide. If the spreads get better, if the Fed starts cutting rates and the spreads get better on that side, you could get under 6, right? Even with higher 10 yields than 3.37. The spreads being as wide as they are, are keeping rates higher than what they should be. So if you get the 10-year yield falling and better spreads, that's a double whammy. That's double good news for the rates um, in that sense. So uh, cross that bridge when we start seeing that movement, because once once the spreads get noticeably better, it t- tends to trend that way unless you have an event. Like we had the banking crisis. The spreads were getting better up until the Silicon Valley banking crisis happened. So, um, But we have to see that directional change. I mean, you could have 1% lower mortgage rates today, right? You could have six and a quarter this morning if the spreads were normal, but we're not there. We're not at that market yet. So there's there's good things for rates to go lower, but we take them one week at a time and again, the labor market data. And again, if the Fed wanted to, the Fed wanted to, they could change everything. 
they choose not to. So this is a policy choice, right? So uh, because the labor market is still firm, I think when the labor market starts to break, that all changes. So we're not there yet, but you know, it's a it's a positive thing that we've gone from five percent to as low as four and a quarter. But we get we stay in that range, three point two one to four and a quarter in twenty twenty three. Above that, you know, was a mistake. But let's get back down there and we'll work with it off of that. And then again, all economic data is very key at this point, especially with the Fed, but the growth rate of inflation and the labor market, those two together are the big ones for them. Well, thank you for letting me press you on rates because you know that's what I always want to talk about. <laughs> it's like get get specific on rates because I know- Oh, I love rates. I love rates, but I, I, I go off the bond market I first. I'm never going to be that mortgage rate first guy. And and speaking of rates, I, I think here- are, you know, what What do we have this week? We had the Case-Shiller Home Price Index and the FHFA Home Price Index and all-time highs, right? Um, and again, I think now now that we're almost, almost in Christmas, now we understand, right? Now we could all understand all these home price crash talks, all these people just throwing stuff up in the air. Just remember, I'm telling you, none of these people are actual real housing analysts. They're not data people. Most of them are all professional grifters. Most of them are what we call anti-central bank people, right? They are doomsday for a reason. I don't even think 90% of them even believe their own stuff, right? I just think it's for attention because you can't be really this bad. We're like, we have the same guy every single year, 20% crash, 20%. Well, if there's a 20% crash after a 60% home price, well, we see, that's crazy talk. This is why we want to get people educated. We want people reading, Sarah. We do. We want people reading. We want people to get smart. We want people to believe in economic models. I know it's boring. I try to make it fun and exciting. But if you follow the tracker data, and like this is the thing, going out for the next 12 months, what does the tracker data tell you every weekend? It tells you 10-year yield, mortgage rates, purchase apps, new listings, active listings, price cut percentages, right? And if you if you thought you believed in a home price crash happening in 2023, the price cut percentages would escalate, the inventory would escalate the new listings data would escalate and it didn't and if you read if you believe in the purity of reading and that the history of human civilizations teach you this right that people that read always have an advantage over those who don't then you're like oh my god it really i'm not shocked that the case shiller index and the fhfa were at all-time highs no but if you don't believe in reading this is what happens you become part of the long lists of fanatics that human civilization has shown us to be the case. So, okay, well, um, we could give you the tools. You have to read them. <laughs> You're doing your best here. I know. So let's talk about the intersection of home prices and mortgage rates because you wrote, you've written before when it was not a popular thing to say, we need higher rates to cool down home prices. So here we are with home prices still accelerating. They have definitely slowed down, but it's not like they've dropped a lot. So we're, we're here we are with these home prices. If we see rates indeed go significantly lower, even, I mean, in the sixes at this point is, is significantly lower, I think, to most of those pent-up home buyers. What does that do to home prices? Demand picks up. Supply goes down. In the history of economics, what does that usually mean? Prices are firm or higher, right? So uh, as somebody who doesn't believe in the mortgage rate lockdown, 
Um, the case for lower mortgage rates and falling home prices, which has been, which was 2021, actually, this is, this is what I remember. What I remember going into 2021 was that people said nobody was listing their homes in 2020. So rates are low. Everyone's going to rush to, everyone's going to rush to the market. If they're rushing to the market, most sellers are buyers so they can buy the homes out there. That's the funny part. It's just like people think that somebody is going to rush to the market and sell who can't afford the house. And it's like... The the best the best theory for lower mortgage rates and lower home prices is that you create a recession, right? And because of the recession, rates fall down faster than what people think, and the supply outpaces the demand. So we'll get to that point and we'll see it in our data lines first, because we get it every Friday, and some of you are still stuck in three months old data. We'll get it. And if that occurs, we'll see it in the price cut percentage and all that. But it wasn't here, like at all. This year, it was beautiful to read, but it's still, it didn't even get there at 8%. So for now, just like last year, if mortgage rates fall, the labor market is firm, demand picks up, supply. Now, remember, every spring inventory grows, right? We're going to see inventory growth, inventory growth. But weakness in demand, higher rates prevents demand to pick up. But if it goes lower and the labor market is still solid, then yeah, okay, that's supply and demand economics. But you can make a case for lower mortgage rates and prices falling, but it would need the supply data to escalate or grow faster than what the demand is. So that's why I always say purchase apps, active inventory, new listings, price percentages, tenure, you put them all together, you got something workable there, but it's fresh, it's daily, and it's looking out. You don't want to be stuck back there, right? Uh, again, we, we, we try to explain this in June of this year. People were shocked in June thinking, well, how did home prices get back? And then they just, they couldn't believe it. We, we, we wrote, we did that podcast. So everybody has a foundation of what to work with. And then for right now, all it is, is four weeks. Mortgage rates are still above 7%, but if rates keep on falling, the labor market is still firm. Just go with it, right? Just go with that. Be the detective for once in your life. Don't be the troll and we'll take it. We'll take it just, or just listen to me. Let me do what I do best. Everybody just track the data and go with it. If it's positive, it's positive. If it's negative, it's negative. But don't create a speculative theory until you actually see the data that could verify it. So what you're describing for 2024 to me sounds like another savagely unhealthy housing market. Is that what you're thinking? Well, here's 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 the thing with with this. Um, I believe because we're we've moved up so much on the inventory scale from the lows of like single family homes in March of 2022 was 240,000. So active inventory is falling, but we're already doubled that. So we're, we're getting back to somewhat of a normal marketplace. We're not there yet. Um, I don't think we're going to, I don't believe we're gonna get the 15 to 20% home price gains or, you know, or, or stuff like that. Uh, the savagely unhealthy housing market was, we had too many people chasing too few homes uh, affordability wasn't bad enough to to stop prices from escalating out of control. We don't have that anymore, right? We just have very moderate growth. Now, I don't believe rates getting down to 6% is going to create, you know, uh, 20% national home price gains, but it will prevent the, what I want to see prices come back down and get some kind of equilibrium. But in this case, no, nobody, nobody is a god. Right, it's so funny. Like somebody says, you shouldn't buy houses. There's always one person that says, "Who? What sociopathic person 
thinks they could go home on TV and tell every single American, don't buy a house. Like they have their, they, they don't have their own things going for them. Millions and millions of people buy homes every single year. If you believe after a second grade education, you could see it in the data. People move, buy homes, they sell homes, whatever. You can't dictate to an entire group of people what to do. So the data has to dictate to you what they're going to do. Are they going to pay for that house? And clearly we've seen housing affordability is a massive problem. Home prices escalated out of control. That was the whole fear of 2020 and on. And mortgage rates are too high. But if mortgage rates come down, you get a little bit of growth. Price growth is stable. Nothing out of, we're, we're okay. That's the best we can do in this. The savagely unhealthy housing market is if the days on market get below a teenager level, you know, a teenager level or under, we're not there yet. We're, we're, we're in their twenties. I'll accept that. Uh, days on market, I would love to be 30. We're not there, but we're, we're far from that marketplace that I was not happy to see in 2021 and early 2022 that started toward the end of 2020. So it's a balancing act. Again, we had the biggest home sale crash ever recorded history. If this continues, we're going to have the third year of the calendar recession, right? So at some point, if the growth rate of inflation is falling, mortgage rates are off, people have to live. That's the thing. People have to date, get married, have sex, have kids. Move. A society has to move forward, and it should never be at the whims of 19 unelective officials. I love that. I can't add anything uh, substantive to that. That That is it right there. So, Logan, thank you so much. Uh, we will be talking again in a few days when we'll have even more economic information, but appreciate you as always. Pleasure is all mine, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.